Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Happy Labor Day, and thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Thank you so much for joining us for this special Labor Day Best of Mornings with Carmen. Um, I have a few thoughts on Labor Day as we get started here. Um, really thoughts on labor in general. When I say the word labor, like what does your mind um, fill in the blanks? Like what does that word mean to you? It occurs to me that the word labor could be applied to like the action of doing the work necessary to get a job done. Like that's the labor particularly like in a physical job, I'm thinking here of like parts and labor. When I go and I have my car repaired, I pay for the parts, but I also pay for the labor, the actual work, the action. Labor is often capitalized uh, and referred to collectively in the culture as advocacy for those who labor. So we think of like labor unions. And um, when we just refer to labor in general um, in the culture, that's uh, that's kind of the the category of thinking. But labor is also a description of what it takes to have a baby. Mm -hmm. Labor. We call them labor pains. I mean, even creation groans as it births the realities of not only what God is bringing forth now, but the redemptive reality of the future. Like labor is the description of what it takes to bring about something newly born, particularly a human baby. We talk about that as labor. As I was thinking about Labor Day, the the parable that Matthew records in chapter 20 of his gospel, this is the, the landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for the vineyard. So Jesus leads that off by, um, by saying one of his characteristic phrases leading into a parable, and that is, for the kingdom of heaven is like. So if you've ever wondered what the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus has several places where he describes characteristics of the kingdom of heaven by telling us a story. We call those parables. And so this is one of those. So this is from Matthew 20, the first 16 verses. Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard, and he agreed to pay them a denarii. Okay, so that's one, the, like one day's wage. So you'd pay this for the day. And that's what he did. He agreed to pay them a a denarius, one day's wage, and sent them into the vineyard. And about nine in the morning, so that's like three hours later, he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace not doing anything. And he said, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. And so they went. And he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and he did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and he found still others standing around. And he said, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? And they said, because no one has hired us. Now, he actually knows that that's not possibly true because he's been there at six, at nine, at noon, at three, and they weren't there then or he would have sent them into the vineyard. So these aren't the most honest folks and these aren't the most diligent folks. But he says to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. 
So the workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they started to grumble against the landowner. Those uh, who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered them, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Are you ever envious of the generosity of God toward others? I think about the way that Jonah responded when God revealed to him that he was going to forgive the Ninevites. Jonah didn't want to see them forgiven. He didn't want that generosity of grace poured out on those nasty people. (laughs) Are we ever like that? What does this parable of Jesus have to say to us on this Labor Day? How does it inform your view of the work that you do or the others with whom you work or the opportunities you have to work or when you show up and when you leave and how you get paid and how you feel about all of that? Revelation 14, verse 3, says this. And this is, you know, John recording this incredible vision of the end times and what things will be like. And John records this in Revelation 14, 3. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor and their deeds will follow them. So what are the labors and the deeds from which you look forward to rest in the kingdom of heaven, but that are also right now the deeds that are prepared in advance for you by God as he works out his redemptive plan? You and I each have good deeds to do today. Let us set ourselves at doing them joyfully, advancing the kingdom. Thanks again for joining me on this Labor Day. We are going to listen again to the conversation I had with John Knox from the Opt Institute about all of the adoption options available to people today. John Knox is joining us now. He's the CEO of the OPT Institute, O-P-T. You can find them at optinstitute.org. John, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Appreciate it. Uh, Okay, I'd be remiss if I didn't lead off with a question about your namesake. Well, you know, I'm John Knox Jr., so the John Knox you're thinking about was a little before me. (laughs) Are you John Knox like the 16th? Or something like, probably, probably. Okay. My All parents, right, just my parents named me Junior. But uh, <laughs> so, what should we call you? Do we call you John? Just John. All right, just John. Well, all right. We're talking with just John today, which I like as well. Um, John works with and for and leads the effort of the Opt Institute, which is a nonprofit research foundation and think tank dedicated to improving access to and support for private infant adoption. 
you should check out optinstitute.org. First of all, you're going to um, you're going to get access to the research that we're going to talk about today that was commissioned by the Opt Institute and done with our friend George Barna at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. That's going to be the subject of our conversation this morning. But as you scroll down the website, you're going to see adoption by the numbers across the United States. Um, and then you're going to see this really cool feature called I Am That Kid. And I want you to go and visit the website and listen to these stories of incredible people who were adopted as kids um, as inspiration and encouragement um, on the adoption front today. So, John, talk with us, first of all, about um, the research that you all commissioned with um, George Barna, who is our dear friend and and comes and talks to w- with us about once a month. So talk with us about the um, uh, the research that you did with them and what you found. It was incredible. I learned so much with George and was, was so thankful that he would take on adoption and do this. And we learned we learned uh, who influences uh, pregnant women. And and it was it was very much a surprise. Uh, I would have expected going in that that outside of family, that the that the largest influences would be friends, peers, the Internet those types of things. But, but the, the um, largest outside influence was doctors, which is where I found it very interesting for you to have Dr. Nixon just a few minutes ago. And, and uh, uh, doctors, uh, the medical community, um, uh, uh, therapists, outsiders, counselors, those types of people have the greatest influence. What George taught me was that, that, so much is outsourced today. Parenting is outsourced today is the way he put it to me in term, in terms of looking at this and thinking about if you're faced with a crisis, you turn to, you, you turn to the expert. And so, so often they, uh, they turn to the medical community. Uh, the faith community, unfortunately, is, is way down on the list. Um, 12%, I think, is, is, is where, um, is where the church came in on who influences a woman's decision. So just in the top line summary, um, I was really struck by the paragraph on women's childhood experiences. Um, You all surveyed women of childbearing age and completed a lot of interviews with, um, with, you know, qualified women in terms of, uh, of these conversations Um, And I'm going to read this paragraph. When asked to identify the situations they had experienced as a child before age 13, the most common experience was undergoing physical, sexual, or emotional abuse. That was listed by nearly half of the women, 45%. About a third, 36%, were raised in a single-parent home. Three out of 10 um, had spent time during their childhood dependent upon government aid or welfare and one out of every 10 had been in foster care. Overall, 5% of the women had been adopted as an infant, 7% adopted after their infant years. Um, Those numbers are pretty staggering. When we talk about the decisions that women of childbearing age are making today, they are influenced by the realities of, um, of the abuse they experienced when they were little children and the privation and the realities of being raised in single parent homes. They are. I mean, it's it's a it's a terrible position that people are in in that regard, and um, and so many of them that have ended up um, in the foster care system 
as a result of, of, of those families and that. And unfortunately, a lot of people confuse the foster care system with private infant adoption. Uh, uh, and I don't even like the name. One of the things we learned with George is, is, is trying to, to put words around how, what, what we call that. We talk about private infant adoption because we're trying to separate that from, from the government adoption under foster care. But private infant adoption really today means open adoption. And an open meaning it's the woman's choice. Uh, uh, one of the things George's research showed is that 30 million women don't even know that under adoption, they get to pick the family uh, mm. that's going to adopt, that's going to adopt her child. I mean, that's amazing to me that there would be 30 million women that don't know that. That's where I think we need today to call it open adoption. I mean, it doesn't mean that the birth mother has to have an open relationship with the family that's adopting it, but it's, but she's open in that she gets the choices. She gets to pick the family. I mean, it's so different today than it used to be. She gets to pick the family. She can have her own lawyer, her own advisor, her own counselors to help her with grief counseling and in dealing with it. And she can be in control. It's really empowering to women and it's gotten lost today um, it, adoption is not even considered in an unwanted pregnancy. I mean, back when I was adopted, there were hundreds of thousands of kids that were adopted in the 50s. And, and today, uh, there, there was less than 20,000 children placed for adoption last year. I mean, there's 700,000 families who would like to adopt, a, adopt an infant and 20,000 available in the United States because it's just not considered. It's, it's like a forgotten option. When somebody thinks about an unwanted pregnancy, they simply think about keeping the child or having an abortion. And, um, and that's what I've been charged with to try and, and help make a difference. And that's where we formed the Opt Institute. That's where we mentioned, you mentioned at the top, the I Am That Kid campaign. That's been a fun campaign. We've got 10 new videos that'll be coming out on that site over the next uh, month or six weeks that have already been shot. These are Olympic athletes and professional athletes and business leaders and different people, all of us that telling our stories that, that, the, these birth mothers think that the kid's going to come back someday and hate them for placing them for adoption. And our feelings are the exact opposite. What I keep finding from, from all of these people is they are so thankful for having been placed in great families and uh, they come back and, 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 and it's, and it's redemptive. It's redemptive to the birth mothers. It's redemptive to um, uh, found siblings that they meet later and different things that, that they're able to come back and, and share with. And it's, it's a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. We're talking with John Knox from the Opt Institute. You can find what we're talking about today and tons of great resources and stories, including the I Am That Kid campaign videos at Opt, O-P-T, Opt institute.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. 
Com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We need to be When you think about adoption as an option, um, what do you know about that? And how would you connect uh, a woman who was experiencing an unexpected pregnancy and wanted to explore her options? How would you help her um, find the truth about what her options really are? Would you even be a person who was safe to tell? Um, Would you be a person to whom she might turn? We're talking with John Knox from the OPT Institute. You can find what we're discussing today and lots of resources at OPT, O-P-T, Institute. It's like the beginning of option or the middle of the word adoption, optinstitute.org. John, what what are some of the things that you wish people knew about um, the experience that women are having when uh, when they have an unexpected pregnancy? Um, or what are you? What are some of the things you wish people knew in terms of connecting people with good resources? Wish people knew where to go easily to get good re- to to find the resources. If somebody's looking today, there's there's organizations like Brave Love um, or the National Council for Adoption. Uh, either of those have have great information on their sites. They have uh, connections with licensed agencies and attorneys that can help them. Uh, going to um, a, a licensed, respected, uh, vetted uh, agency, I think, can be very helpful to them. And so, I think that's that's one of the things that they can do. And Bright Bright Love is one organization that does does a great job on that. They serve. Uh, many agencies throughout the country, and so they have relationships with a lot of them that that can connect women and and have some terrific stories on their site uh, that help explain that it's not an easy option, but it's a wonderful option. And that's that's what I wish people could see. It's very biblically based. I mean, there's a reason very early in the Bible uh that that god gives us moses is the first open adoption people act like open adoption is something new well it was it was uh it was very early on that we got the first story of open adoption and uh uh, i think people need to need to understand that and see that i wish the church talked more about that i wish they 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 talked about um adoption more in the church today than exists yeah, adoption is certainly biblical. I mean, each one of us who are adopted uh, into the family of faith, uh, you know, I, that's how we get in. Um, and so uh, I do think that it is something that we understand on a theological level. Um, I'm not sure that everyone understands it on a practical level. We're not even sure, uh, John, to be perfectly honest, like, you know, how uh, I, I think of my friend Russell Moore, who just celebrated you know, the adoption more than 20 years ago of his two sons um, from Russia. Um, it, but I'm I'm not even sure, like, I, I know Russell has talked about the fact that, you know, like, people refer to, he's got lots of boys. And, you know, like, which ones are your real sons? Like, right, we're so broken that we ask dumb questions, terrible, terrible questions. Um, and so, 
Help us walk around a little bit in doing better. And maybe some of that uh, leads back to a conversation about the research that you've that you've recently done with George Barna. You know, I'm commenting on that, though. My real father is my father, right? The one that raised me, my mother and father. I mean, that's what is so terrific about being raised by by great parents who were who were who who raised me and that feeling is there as an adopted kid, uh, just as strong as it as it as it would be with a biological scenario. It is interesting to meet biological siblings and, and and birth parents and other things because there is a unique connection that God has made that's there. But it's not the same as 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 your parents on on who raised you and who they are. And uh, uh, that's what I hope we're able to share through some of our stories that are online. Uh, and, and that's yes about Barna. Barna's Barna's research is is um, is so telling on just what people don't know in terms of they they don't understand adoption being this wonderful loving option. It's. It's interesting that we have uh, we have shame and guilt around adoption. We've eliminated in our society shame and guilt around being gay or abortion or other things as a society. It's 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 it's, it's crazy that so many people um, uh, think there's no shame and guilt around that, and then they put shame and guilt around adoption. And that's um, that's one of the things we're learning and, and, and trying to figure out how we get rid of. I think part of it is changing the dialogue and simply talking about open adoption and open adoption is is open where the woman's got the choice. But it's also an open relationship with God. She's open. Uh, she may not have a relationship with the birth parents. Uh, I mean, with the adoptive parents early on. But she may later in life. In my particular case, I went back and met my birth mother forty, almost forty years later, mm-hmm. uh, and and it was it was it was very telling and very beneficial for her. Um, um, so I think it's something that they need to think about. All right, so um, we're hearing from a number of listeners on our text line, which let me just remind everybody, you can always text me, 877-933-2484. Elizabeth uh, says, I was 19 and pregnant. I had grown up in foster care, was adopted, and then due to abuse um, in the foster care system, I was later placed again. My son was placed for adoption through New Life Family Services, and 21 years later, well, here's a picture of him and me. So I love that. Elizabeth, um, we're going to encourage you to visit IamThatKid.com and find a way to share your story there. That's something people can do, right? Absolutely. And that's the redemption of adoption. That's a wonderful story right there about how you come back and how beneficial that is. I was having... I was having dinner with my 98-year-old mother about a month ago, and and this lady sits down at the table, and she says, John there has has started an organization called Adoption as an Option. And this other lady named Nancy was sitting next to me. She's probably 87 years old. And when she hears that I had started Adoption as an Option, she looks up at the whole table and says, I wish they had told me it was an option. Mm. And, Amen. and you just think about what that looks like later in your life, as opposed to the girl that just texted you that's talking about how wonderful that is to be able to look back and see Amen. what happened 21 years before. 
Yeah, Lori, uh, Lori's on the line as well, and she says, I bear witness to all that he's talking about. I have an incredibly redemptive meeting with my biological family. I'm so thankful. So we're going to send her as well to IamThatKid.com to share her story. Hey, if you've got... um. You've got a, a adoption story that you want to share. If you are that kid, um, we want to hook you up with the Opt Institute, optinstitute.org. I am thatkid.com for the storytelling portion of it. If you're looking for um, resources, maybe you are experiencing an unexpected pregnancy and you would love um, to know what your options are, bravelove.org adoptioncouncil.org. I'm going to link to all of them in the show notes today, which will be posted later along with the podcast, everywhere you get your podcasts um, and at myfaithradio.com. John, what a delight to to make your acquaintance today and get to know you a little bit. I hope we can talk further in the future because people have lots of questions about this. I would love to, Carmen. I appreciate you amplifying this and having it on your show. Absolutely. Adoption is an option. Check out the research at the Opt Institute, O-P-T, optinstitute.org. And the stories, they're so great. They're linked also at that website, or you can go and and, uh, see them directly at IamThatKid.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Excited to share with you again the conversation that I had with Michaela Munn and Linda Janako about all of the challenges that some women face today with unexpected pregnancies. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on a special edition Labor Day. talked with Linda Zanaco before um, from the Ministry of He Knows Your Name and the Safe Haven Baby Boxes. She joins us again and she brings her friend, Michaela Munn. Linda and Michaela, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen, for having us. Yeah, it's great to be with you again. So, Linda, let's actually start with you because this story maybe would have been told to us differently if you'd never met Michaela. So tell us the part of this story before you meet Michaela in terms of um, your relationship to the storyline. Sure. So I I got connected with the story um, after it hit the news and the sentencing had happened. And so the baby was released that um, passed away. And the baby's dad contacted me and said, you know, would you help me with this baby's funeral? And I I said, of course I will. And so I went to Elkhart, Indiana and took a lot of resources with me and celebrated the life of Alexander Liam and met a lot of the people connected to the story and the family. And after that, I just, I mean, really thought that that was over. And two years later, or so, um, I got an email from someone who is a mutual, well, friend of Michaela's I had never met before. And he told me Michaela wanted to connect with me because she knew that I had officiated the funeral of her son and she didn't attend that funeral because she was in prison. And, and so I was, you know, like, okay, God, what do you have for me in this? 
And um, Michaela and I entered in very gently together and started emailing one another. And after about a year of emails, I think I've said to Michaela, I think she sent me 70 emails in a year. I really got to know her and her heart and just see how redemptive God had been so faithful to her while she was in prison. And her story is absolutely remarkable. And I believed her and I really wanted to um, help her use her voice because her desire was that no other mother would sit where she's sitting and have had the um, the crisis of an unwanted pregnancy that then ended so tragically. And she wants to use her voice. And I said, I want to help you use your voice because of the work I do to advocate for unwanted abandoned babies. The crisis is happening all over this country. And of course, because of my collaborative relationship with Safe Haven Baby Box, I knew that her voice would be extremely important. And we just started to develop her voice. And um, we did a story with Fox 59 while she was in prison. And um, that story was what really connected us because number one, I first got, to, it's the first time we got, I got to see her, but um, we had not met in person until that story had been used to be the, the catapult for like getting her a modification hearing to consider reducing her sentence. And when we met face-to-face in that courtroom on April 21st, everything changed for her. And I'd love for her to tell you that part of the story. Yeah, Michaela, um, first of all, welcome. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. And let me begin by saying we stand on equal footing as people made in the image of God, stand on equal footing as sinners kneeling at the cross and stand on equal footing as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. So I want you to hear me say that because I know that there are people who want you to be known for the worst moment in your life. And I am celebrating that um, you are known as a woman redeemed in, in Christ Jesus by God. And so thank you so much for, um, for joining us today. Uh, tell us your story. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, my story begins before my son was even born. Uh, I had a sexual assault that went unreported that was not related to my son's conception. And I started drinking really heavily because I felt disgusting. I felt alone. I felt isolated. And I didn't really know how to voice how I felt. Um, I was always the one that people would go to when they needed help. And I just couldn't seem to tell anybody that I was struggling. So I was hiding my addiction from uh, alcohol and pills. Um, one minute I was sober, the next minute I wasn't. And depending on which one you asked, I knew I was pregnant or I didn't know. And I was just so broken and so alone. And when I gave birth to my son in my dorm room by myself that day, that was like rock bottom for me. Um, I was laughing, I was crying, I was having all these emotions happen to me at once. And I just, I can't remember what happened that day. The only thing that I do remember is what's in the papers that they gave me for my discovery. And I didn't have access to those until like maybe two or three weeks after I was arrested. And I was at that point, I was in a suicide cell. So I was isolated and by myself. And I never felt so low in my entire life. And I felt like I could not escape where I was. I felt like the darkness was basically suffocating me. And I read through those papers and I knew what I did was wrong. 
and I acknowledge what I did was wrong and I own my responsibility. But when I made those internet searches, safe haven wouldn't have popped up. None of the safe haven hotlines would have popped up. Um, so there was no way. And I was scared. I didn't really know what to do, but I realized that I didn't want to be that woman anymore. And mm. I knew God existed. I just didn't have that rock solid foundation and that relationship with him, but other people in my life did. So I started crying out to God. I said, if you are real, then I really need you. Cause I don't want to be her anymore. I was tired of being scared. I was tired of feeling the way that I felt. So I cried out to him and in the suicide cell, the light is on 24 hours and there's a cross that came into the light. And I said, Oh my gosh, he's here somewhere. He's gotta be. Mm. And that was the first time I fell asleep. And I felt like somebody was holding me and letting me know that everything was going to be okay. Mm. While Michaela was, um, was in prison, Alexander Liam was laid to rest in a burial that was arranged by others, including Linda, who we're talking with now, who runs the ministry, He Knows Your Name. If you missed that conversation um, that we had with Linda on a prior occasion, I'll post it in the notes um, for this show today. Um, and, and Linda, I want you to um, to talk about why you do that. Why, why dignify the life of a person who really never, never lived? I mean, he didn't live long. He lived for nine months and then he lived for minutes, but he didn't, he didn't have a life. So how do you celebrate that life? Because I think that's important for people to understand as well. Yeah. I, I mean, God just really called me in 2009 to rise up to the information I had gotten after hearing the news about a baby found in a dumpster that our city and state just puts that baby. I was told from the coroner's office in a pauper's grave. And I was so appalled that that was the reason that's how we answered that need. And I thought, no, this is an injustice. And once I heard that, I felt responsible to do something about it. And I have claimed or celebrated the lives of 37 babies and officiated the funerals of every single one of them in 13 years, because I am convicted and compelled and compassionate that every child of God deserves to be known by a name and celebrated in life and in death. And I've just been on a mission to do that. And um, it, it's just amazing to me how many people then come around to me and say, would you help me with this? Like Alexander Liam's father did. And of course, I mean, I just say yes. Like I want to say yes to God every single time he invites me into the sacred because I believe that the Holy of Holies is at the grave because, you know, Carmen, we all know like, the greatest miracle was performed there. And so I do not fear it. And I stand a grave and I see sacred moments happen that I believe is like where Jesus meets us because we know from Mark nine, how he called the little ones to himself. And he didn't just say, Oh, come to me. He said, get on my lap. And then not just get on my lap, but let me now throw my arms around you. And then like, not just throw my arms around you to show you, I love you and you're safe and I want to comfort you, but now I'm going to bless you. And I want to be around those little ones because they were so close to Jesus. And so it, it just builds my faith and it gives me passion to keep moving forward, to celebrate every life because I believe every life matters. 
So we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I want Michaela to have the opportunity to, you know, share with us what um, what her experience um, has been since that moment in time when God really did um, make himself known and real to her in that prison cell, um, because that's a number of years ago now. And so we want to um, we want to talk about what the journey has been and what life is like now. We're talking with Michaela Munn. Uh, along with Linda Gentinko, and we uh, will be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Michaela Mann uh, is here with us today, along with Linda Zanaco. Um, Michaela served six years of um, of what was originally a twelve year prison sentence, um, three years suspended to formal probation, because her child died in her care after being born in circumstances that, really, as a woman, I have a hard time even imagining. Uh, Michaela, that you were all alone in a dorm with no support. And I'm just sorry for all of the circumstances related to this. I'm sorry that you didn't you didn't think there was anyone to whom you could turn. And I think that when we're having conversations about being pro-life in the culture today, I want you to help us be pro-life for the Michaela that was then. How can those of us who are Christians in the culture today and who are pro-life how can we reach out to women who were desperate in the way that you were desperate when you were pregnant? Um, That's a really good question. I know for me, every experience is different, but for mine, I hit it. And it wasn't because I didn't trust anybody. It was because I was ashamed of what was done to me. And I thought for the longest time, it was my fault for this sexual assault. But when I realized how bad I was hurting and that my actions in turn hurt the people that I loved and affected more than that, I realized that I just couldn't do that anymore. And for the longest time, everybody blamed themselves. My family blamed themselves. My mom, my dad, everybody did. And that was really hard. But the thing was, is I chose those actions because I didn't know what to do. So to answer your question, the best thing you can do is sometimes sometimes just show up, just be present. You may not understand, you don't have to, but just to 
be there and just to say, hey, I care. I love you regardless of what's going on with you. But I have noticed things aren't what they used to be. Is there something that's causing you to be this way? Mm. Just to show up and just be present is the best gift anybody can give. Yeah, I think cultivating the ability to be a safe person to tell, because that's what you're suggesting, is that it's one thing for me to recognize that someone is in a crisis and then to show up and say, hey, I'm noticing some things. I'm observing some things. Um, These things have changed. These things are different. Can we talk about why that is? But then I have to be I have to be safe to tell. And so thank you for that. Michaela. Since, you know, since the moment in the cell when, you know, God really did show up in a way that for you, you know, made the reality of his of his presence and love real for you. It's not as if the um, the subject matter of the conversation has gone away. Um, I'm guessing that there are still people who respond to you. I mean, the, the language that you've used to describe it as, you know, as BK, which for those of you who are listening, it's the it, it's kind of the prison moniker for baby killer. I know that that has to be a haunting, some level of haunting reality, but you are forgiven in Christ Jesus. And I'm wondering, in terms of walking in newness of life, with now a real ministry um, in relationship to this, I'm wondering, you know, how you're feeling and how you're doing and where you're finding community and how your family is responding. And you can answer any or none of those questions that you're comfortable (laughs) with. Well, at first, I wasn't even expecting to come home, honestly. Um, When I got the modification hearing, I thought people were kidding because I just wasn't expecting it. And to be set free on my birthday was amazing. But my family has been nothing but supportive from the beginning. But we've had some really hard conversations. I had to show them that I changed. I couldn't just say it. I had to show it to them. I ruined the trust in the relationship that we we had. But I've noticed that God sometimes tears down the walls that we've built up for years to rebuild us. And that's exactly what he was doing when I was in prison. He was rebuilding me and reshaping me to become the better version of myself for him. And yeah, there's people out here that won't talk to me that used to talk to me before. And that's okay. And I understand that. And I understand that relationships have changed. But I also understand that if I don't talk about my biggest mistake, then somebody else might fall into the same pattern that I did and might have the same result. And Monica is doing a great job with the safe haven baby boxes. And Linda does Mm -hmm. a great job with he knows your name. But I don't want someone to feel like I did. I don't want Mm -hmm. someone to feel lost and confused and feel like there is no way out. There is a way. There's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. You just have to find it. The darkness may surround you, but joy comes in the morning. We all know that, but we have to get through the darkness first. And I think that was the hardest part for me. It wasn't until COVID hit that I really realized how stuck I was. And once the light started coming through, and once I started spending more time with God and more time with people who were changing, my actions started matching up with what I was doing. And that's exactly what we were taught while we were in prison. You know, sometimes you are the only Bible that somebody ever reads. So when someone talks to you or when someone's with you, what do they see? Now, am I perfect all the time? 
no, there's no way. I still mess up. I still fall victim to sin. But when I do, I go to him and say, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Help me to correct this behavior so that way it does not continue. Because I don't want to fall into the same pitfalls that I used to before. Because that's what tripped me up. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to be a people pleaser. I used to worry about what everybody else was thinking and their values. And if they liked me and I wanted to be accepted, I just wanted to feel that acceptance and feel loved. But the thing is, and you already are, he already loves you. He loved you when he first created you, when he first put you together in his, in your mother's womb, he loves you. He's the only person that really needs to accept me. And if I can live with that, then I'm okay. And he'll bring people to you that will enhance your life and make it better and will love you the way that you need to be loved, not the way that the world perceives love. Amen. And he's using you as a beautiful, um, redeemed, restored, reshapen, um, reformed representative of his love to others. You're, um, you know, you're a conduit of grace. And so want to thank you so much, Michaela, for joining us today. Linda, we want to celebrate um, with you as well, the ministry of He Knows Your Name. We're certainly celebrating with Safe Haven Baby Boxes, um, you know, being used uh, with with frequency in, in Indiana and beyond. So want to encourage folks to check out those ministries as well. You guys can connect with Linda at heknowsyourname.org. Michaela and Linda, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Thank you, Kermit. Absolutely. Blessings. We'll be right back. Well, again, thank you so much um, for joining me on this Labor Day for the best of uh, version of Mornings with Carmen. I hope that you're going to have an opportunity today to rest from some of your labors, but I also hope that you'll be um, keeping an eye open for those deeds that God has prepared in advance for you to do. God's not resting on this Labor Day, and God has work for each and every one of us to do that's kingdom advancing. So today, as you walk out into the world that God so loves, be looking around, be on the lookout for opportunities to, you know, walk into the uh, the fields that are ripe for harvest and to, you know, do the labor that is there to be done on God's behalf. Let's not be afraid to labor on Labor Day, particularly when it comes to advancing the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.